0: On December 6, 2022, just a few weeks ago, we came out and we did a show on the Idaho College murders. There has been a big, major update in this case. As most of you probably have heard and are already aware of, Brian Christopher Koberger, age 28, has been arrested in connection with the quadruple homicide case out of Idaho. University. Brian Christopher Koberger is a resident of Pullman, Washington. He was arrested at about 1 a.m. on Friday, December 30th by the Pennsylvania State Police. This is seven weeks or so after four University of Idaho students were stabbed to death in their beds. Brian Koberger was apprehended in Albrightsville, which is in northeastern, the northeastern portion of Pennsylvania which is about 2,500 miles away from the Idaho campus. He will be charged with four counts of first-degree murder and burglary. And as said, he's in Pennsylvania, and he will be extradited back to Idaho, where he will be formally charged. From my understanding, there was supposed to be an extradition hearing tomorrow, scheduled for Tuesday. January 3rd. However, it sounds like Brian is waiving that hearing and has agreed to be extradited back to Idaho. So, we're coming to you today not as a news show. You know, we're not a news show here in the garage. We are simply here to update you on a case that we covered late last year and a case that's been very much in the news nationwide. And if you want to go back and listen to our previous coverage, that is true crime garage episode number six thirty four, captain. I believe that in that episode, you had predicted that there would likely be an arrest or, or you were at least hoping for an arrest before the new year. And here we are to say happy new year to each other and happy new years to the listeners out there. Then we have this exciting news about an arrest. It's, Really good to see this case not dragging on like so many other tragic cases where we're still seeking
2: answers. Well, first of all, we can't be a news show because they don't let two dumb, dumb heads drink beer with no pants on do the news. We've asked multiple times and they've declined it every single time. It wasn't on the show where we actually covered the case, but the following between us doing a main episode, a main true crime garage episode, and then doing our bonus show off the record between that time period, law enforcement came out and said, Hey, we're looking for a car and we're looking for the occupants of that car. And again, not the smartest guy in the room, not even the second smartest guy in the garage, but I do listen. And what the Colonel has said over and over, for the last five, six years, law enforcement is very good at tracking down vehicles. So once that statement was made by law enforcement, my gut was telling me they're on to something, they're on to somebody, and once they find that vehicle, they'll find this suspect. Now, when they find Brian, like you said, almost 2,500 miles away, the chief of police states Oh, that that car that we're looking for, that Hyundai Elantra, we believe we found the car. Not we we think we found a car that's similar. No, we think we found the car that we're looking for, and we found the suspect we're looking
0: for. And you're absolutely right there, Captain. We do so many of these shows, so it gets a little confusing sometimes. But yes, we did a brief follow-up on Off the Record about a week after putting out the episode it was by that time that we had learned that they were looking for a vehicle. And one thing that we expressed on off the record was our enthusiasm at the idea that they are so specific about the type of vehicle that they were looking for. They had it narrowed down to within a couple years, they had make and model and color. And a lot of times when we cover these cases, we're getting an eyewitness statement that is such a generic description of a vehicle that it doesn't, I mean, it helps in some way, in some form or fashion, but not the way that it, it worked here in this case. You know, you take something like Delphi and you see that you have three different eyewitnesses giving three completely different descriptions of a vehicle that was in question, and that doesn't really drive the investigation in any one direction. Here, you have the opposite where they were very specific about the type of vehicle that they were looking for. A couple things that, that, that tells me, you know, we, we look at these cases a little differently than some other people do. So we look at the cases by trying to examine the case itself, examine the evidence itself, fill in some of the blanks. But at the same time, we are also examining the investigation. And there's a little bit of speculation, and I will imagine that this will get cleared up here rather shortly, especially once we get this guy back to Idaho, but there's speculation. Was it DNA or was it the car that led investigators to this suspect and to making an arrest? And I've heard it reported both ways. Some are screaming from the mountaintops. It was the DNA. It was the DNA. And others are saying it was the vehicle. Again, we like hearing here in the garage when they're looking for a very specific vehicle. We talk so many times about how the timeline, and I know that this is the colonel the being Captain Obvious here, mm-hmm. but timelines are so crucial to any investigation. And one thing they were able to do in this case is really narrow down the time of death in this investigation. And therefore, when we're being told by law enforcement that they are looking for a very specific type of vehicle, that tells me that they have proof positive reasons to be looking for that vehicle. Could it just be an eyewitness? I think it probably goes beyond that. I think that they probably had some kind of digital evidence that this vehicle was seen going into this area around the time leading up to the murders and probably leaving the area after the murders were believed to have been committed. So they, they really narrowed down the the time of death in this case. And then we start looking for this vehicle. And this is where TV art really does imitate life. Because if you watch shows like law and order or other dramatized fictional crime shows, you will see that often they are, law enforcement will be using programs that will really help them decipher what exact kind of vehicle that they were looking for. So they could have some kind of video evidence that may show just the side of the vehicle or show the headlights of the vehicle. And oftentimes they can make out what kind of body style we are looking for based off of the headlights or the taillights uh, or other factors of that vehicle other details of that vehicle that's in question and so here we have a situation they're looking for a very specific vehicle within just a couple years because that tells me they they've identified the body style body styles typically run for several years and that's why they tell us hey this from this year to this year make and model hyundai elantra white this is what we're looking
2: for yeah i agree with you i think it's probably some type of cctv because once you nail down this timeline and you know roughly when these murders took place and the the time gap was very small, so it wouldn't be that hard to go to local businesses and local homeowners, because that's one thing that law enforcement has above and beyond years and years prior is the video technology that people have at their house, whether it's a simply safe or whether it's a, a ring doorbell. Just think about that a couple houses on that street that have a ring doorbell that the police could go to. And look, there's a quadruple homicide in your neighborhood. People are willing to come forward and help and give that information.
0: So as we said, Brian Christopher Koberger age 28 will be charged with four counts of first degree murder and burglary. DNA evidence played a key role in linking the murders to Koberger. According to NBC news, Koberger is listed as a PhD student in the Department of Criminal Justice and Criminology at Washington State University, which is 10 miles west and just across the state line from the University of Idaho. That's something we noticed immediately. I had never heard of the location of the quadruple homicide, I was aware of the University of Idaho, but not certain exactly where it was located in the great state of Idaho. But very quickly, when you look into that case, you notice, wow, you go just a couple minutes drive west, and now you're out of Idaho and into Washington, Washington State, that is. This university where Koberger was attending About 10 miles west, just across the state line from the University of
2: Idaho. Yeah, and I think a lot of people in the media are making a big deal about this. I I don't think it's that big of a deal that this guy studied criminology. You're going to tell me that Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, Ed Kemper, BTK, guys like that weren't experts in this field. They were experts. They They were studying it. They were studying the people before them. I mean, heck, we see a lot of times in school shootings or mass killings where there's documented evidence that those people were studying the killers that came before them. So I don't know what triggered this man to do what he did. I think that's going to be what everybody's going to be waiting for. But so many rumors coming out, and, and some that we can state are factual. One, chief of police said when they arrested Brian, that the first thing he asked was, has anybody else been arrested? Now, I don't know what law enforcement knows, so I don't know if they think that there might be another perpetrator. I'm guessing the evidence at the scene of the crime would suggest yes or no on that that answer. But obviously, they can't tell us because they got to keep a lot of this information close to the vest. But I think maybe he said something like that just to throw them off
0: yeah i was gonna say i think that reaction is like the least incriminating reaction that one could have and we should we do have to say this here captain before we move on brian koburger should be presumed innocent until proven otherwise in the court of law we are not here to deem him to be guilty in the in the court of public opinion. We are going to review what information we have at this time being that Monday, just the Monday after his arrest. And I know and believe fully that we will get a lot more information about the investigation, about the evidence against Koberger and what may, if anything, connect him to one or two or more of these victims.
2: Yeah. I was shared with a source that I have, um, it was a, I believe a Twitter account. Now this could be a, a fake Twitter account, but it was an account for Brian and he was following two of the victims. So a lot of people were speculating that he was stalking these victims. He, and he might've been one of the things that we can state for another fact is that the chief of police came out and said they do not have the murder weapon yet. Right. Now they did the search at the crime scene And they stopped the search and it was going to be cleaned. They bring in a company to clean it all up and then they work with the property management company so then they can basically be done with the scene. A local court, for whatever reason, I can't get the details on why this happened, but a local court contacted law enforcement and contacted the cleaning crew to stop. Stop cleaning the crime scene so we can preserve the crime scene just in case we need to go back to it. So that has been stopped But Brian did live in student housing at his college, and I know that they've been searching and taking out evidence from his house or his apartment, Uh, but he did live in in student housing there.
0: A public defender, and again, this is in the state of Pennsylvania, He, he will be ultimately represented by somebody else, but a public defender has said in a statement regarding Brian Koberger's arrest and the waiving of the extradition hearing that Mr. Koberger, and I'll read it verbatim here. Mr. Koberger is eager to be exonerated of these charges and looks forward to resolving these matters as promptly as possible. End quote. Now, authorities have not released a motive in the slangs. Of course, they don't have to release a motive in the slangs as part of the investigation or even part of the arrest. Right. They may not know the motive themselves until they can do some further digging. And now that they got the guy or the person they believe to be responsible, they can extend their investigation outwardly to come up with the motive and to try to figure out the why. Because they got some of the how figured out and some of the who figured out. But it will be the why that they will want to figure out. A probable cause affidavit, which details supporting the arrest or items to support the arrest, has been sealed and cannot be made public until Brian Koberger is back in Idaho and is served with those papers in court. So that is his right to, to receive those papers and his defense to receive those papers before the rest of us can lay eyes on them.
2: Yeah, a couple of interesting things here, though, is one of the rumors, again, if I know something is fact, I'll, I'll just tell you it's fact, just so you don't have to go through every YouTube clip and every news clip that's out there. One of the things that have has been rumored is that at his college, they had a discussion Uh, in the criminology department about the murders, which Brian, they claim, attended and uh, participated in in that discussion. Very strange, but we see that time and time again where these murderers put themselves indirectly involved into the investigation. And I think somebody like Brian that's studying this, I think probably was so fascinated with well what do people think and I'm sure he was following the news and I'm sure that he was I guarantee you when they find his computer and his cell phone that you're gonna see that he was googling and seeing what was reported about this case and, and maybe even listen to podcasts about this case as well.
0: So for my understanding here Captain we have Brian Koberger, who is a PhD student at the University. Uh, Washington State University. And from my understanding, he completed his first semester there early December of last year of 2022. Prior to that, he did all of his previous schooling in the state of Pennsylvania, which is where he was later arrested. So how does this all go down? Well, he and his father made a two and a half almost three day drive in that white Hyundai Elantra from Pullman, Washington to where they have a house in Pennsylvania, where Brian, I'm assuming grew up and went to high school. We know he went to, uh, attended college there. I'm not certain when he would have left Washington. We can narrow it down a little bit because we have a December 16th, two sources have put him in Pennsylvania at that time, him and his father. This because they are getting the vehicle that white Hyundai Elantra serviced for, I'm guessing, regularly scheduled maintenance. They just made this long, almost cross-country trip in the vehicle. Right. This would have been on December 16th. So there are two confirmed sources that are saying that they were at this car shop getting the vehicle serviced in Pennsylvania on December 16th. It looks to me, and I have this in my notes here, and I'm struggling to find it, but if I recall correctly here, Captain, I believe that the last day of classes for Washington State were December 9th, and then the following week they did have final exams, so I don't know if he had to stick around for that. Again, I don't know when they left, but we do have law enforcement saying yes we we know about the father and him taking this trip. The father flew in so they could drive back together. Brian was going to be home for the holidays. Mm-hmm. They don't have any reason at all to believe that that the father was involved in any form or fashion that, that they don't even believe or or at least not saying publicly that they believe that his parents had any idea as to what was going on at all and it's very easy to place another person in another city another state hundreds if not thousands of miles away so we shouldn't look at at the family with any suspicion in fact the family has been a little more responsive than i would have expected they've expressed their sorrow their grief and and their concern for the families of the victims the father even saying that during their drive back, his son seemed perfectly normal to him that he didn't notice any kind of change in his son at all. They are saying that we are going to stand behind and stand with our son, presume that he is innocent until told otherwise that they are going to help in his defense. It's been a troubling case, but again, This this is a case that's been really under the microscope and I think maybe too much in my opinion because we now have the police chief, the local police chief, the Moscow police chief, uh, James Fry, who's telling the news, hey, I I probably could have handled this a little bit differently. There's public outcry and, and outcry from the media that law enforcement wasn't transparent enough with the public. And with the media in this case, and it's like I feel like a lot of times that law enforcement they're stuck and wedged in this position of damned if you do, damned if you don't. You want them to do their jobs, and let's not start telling them how to do their jobs. All right, like it, if these, if we have law enforcement officials that are outwardly committing crimes themselves, or doing horrible things themselves, or not treating people like uh, with with basic human decency. Then yes, that's a problem. Let's get rid of those bad seeds. But when you have a police chief, a police department that did in my opinion did all of the right things, uh, bringing in other agencies, using all of your possible resources, they did keep the media involved, they did keep the public aware of what was going on. They did release certain amounts of information that we, it, that we've not seen in some other cases. So, I think that I think that this is a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction. I think that the police chief, look, he, he's done a fantastic job on this investigation from what I can see, so he can say whatever he wants. And I'm, I think that maybe where his regret may lie is that the public was terrified. The, the, the locals were terrified, and they were terrified for seven, almost eight weeks until an arrest was made. It's now looking like, again, without no, knowing the motive, it's now looking like that this attack was a little more targeted than probably what was first thought in the, in the early days of this investigation.
2: Well, a couple of things. I'm, I'm going to agree with you a little bit and then disagree with you a little bit. Yes. Did they do everything right? No. You're never going to. But their job is to find a suspect. The evidence needs to show them the suspect. They need to arrest the suspect. And now there's so much more work that is going to begin. We heard this in the Delphi case, but they did their job. You don't have to do it a hundred percent correctly to get the result that you need to get. And I understand that people in that area were scared. I understand that the parents, because there were, we have multiple victims, and we have the parents wanting answers. I think where you can start nitpicking what law enforcement is doing and isn't doing is when an investigation becomes Two years on, three years on, five years on. This was weeks. These guys did one hell of a job to find this individual and to make an arrest. Now we'll see what where the case goes from here. And I want to believe the parents of Brian. My only concern is I would think that if my son was over 2,000 miles away studying, that we'd just get him a plane ticket. So I think this whole sense of getting the plane ticket and bringing the car back. But like you said, his father has given statements on how his son was reacting and, or not reacting, but how his son was acting in that trip. And he said it was normal. So I, I do want to believe them, but, but there is a part of me that goes, isn't, isn't that a little strange? Brian's parents could have no knowledge of any involvement of him in that crime. And it could have been Brian manipulating his parents to get that car from Washington to Pennsylvania because he knows law enforcement's looking for that car.
0: Well, I mean, we may find out otherwise, but it's the way that it's being reported is that was a scheduled trip, a scheduled drive, something that was planned before the murders took place. Right, right. Um and again with it being his first semester, who knows? Father son may have said, you know, it'd be cool, it'd be it'd be cool to make the drive out together or uh when you when it comes time to return home for the holidays, I'll fly out and we'll we'll drive home together and, and spend right. the, the time together. So yeah, again, we may find out otherwise, but from my understanding and the way it's been reported, is that was a planned trip. Now does that factor into his planning of this crime? Right. We do know that we do know that he was still in the area for several couple weeks afterwards. And we have classmates of his that were saying that he was pretty much the same during that time period and actually finding it hard to believe that he was attending class regularly. He didn't, he didn't miss school. He didn't change any of his routine after the murders.
2: Yeah, and his neighbor said he didn't talk with Brian much, but every time that he did run into him, he seemed to be very friendly and very neighborly. So it's it's very strange. I think there's a lot of people in in Brian's life that are are shocked uh, by this arrest, but I think there's going to be more I think because of the crime scene, there's going to be a mountain of evidence. But let's dive into that after a quick beer break. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today.
0: The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters, You'll step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Use your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. And customize your very own luxurious estate island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. Collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. And You can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
2: All right, we are back. Happy New Year, you filthy, filthy, filthy animals. What, what a strange case here, Colonel. Yes,
0: and I think like you were hinting at before the break, I think we're going to find some potential connections from perpetrator to victim. You almost always do once it's brought into light who the perpetrator of the crime is or was and so there is some online speculation we have a parent a father of one of the victims saying that that their family's starting to see one or two possible connections that they're not comfortable discussing yet with with the public and they they don't need to I mean again we don't want anything to get in the way of the investigation as the captain pointed out Very astutely, this investigation is ongoing, even though we have an arrest. What we don't have is we don't have the murder weapon. We need to know more about this individual. Now that we have him in custody, they want people to come forward. They're saying, look, now that you have more information, we need the information that you may possess. Tell us now that you know the vehicle, now that you know the the person that we've arrested and who we suspect tell us more about this individual so we can fill in some of the blanks for our investigation and what will be the trial and the evidence against this guy.
2: And I just want to point out very strange that the first thing that Brian says when he's arrested is, has anybody else been arrested yet? When you go back to when they talk about the car, they talked about the occupants being plural. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that they make another arrest in this case i'm my gut is telling me this is is one attacker, but again, I'm only privy to so much information. There was also an accusation again, I don't know if this is fact, this is a rumor that I've seen online is that Brian was making some creepy and inappropriate comments to the staff and customers at a brewery. And this um, has come out, and this brewery owner has made this claim.
0: This is a perfect segue here, Captain, because let's discuss this, because we often discuss beer on the show, and this is also very insightful regarding this suspect. So let's talk about the Seven Sirens Brewing Company. The owner there, keep in mind – this is a brewing company in Pennsylvania. So this these interactions are prior to him going off to school at Washington State. Okay. So the the owner has come out and said, look, this guy used to come in to our brewing company and sit and drink beer. And I'll take it directly from this article here. I believe this is from NBC News or CNN, one of the two. There's so many people reporting on this. Lots of good reporting on this case so far. The owner says Koberger came into his brewery a few times and female staff would often complain about his behavior. The owner says, look, we are located in a college town and it's not unusual for them to get unusual characters. But Brian Koberger was memorable from some interactions he had with female patrons and staff. He says, Koberger often came in by himself, sat at the bar and he would be quote, observing and watching the staff there at this brewery scans everyone's IDs when they come in. And so they have a system that when you scan someone's ID, that information goes into their system and then they can add notes about a patron and a pop-up. If you added notes about somebody, right? then next time they come in, when you swipe their ID, scan their ID, those old notes are going to pop up. Right. So he's saying that this is not just things that were observed, but they were recorded. And so he can go back and look at this and say, yes, Uh, On a couple of occasions, we had this happen here. And he gives us a, a kind of a vague description here saying that the staff put in some notes on this guy saying that he makes creepy comments and to keep an eye on him, saying that he would have two or three beers and then just get a little too comfortable. I'm guessing he means a little too comfortable with the staff or with other patrons there. It says that Koberger would ask the female staff or customers who they were at the brewery with. Are you here with anybody? If so, who are you here with? Also asking them where they lived. He said that if women blew him off, Koberger would get upset with them. And even noting one time that Koberger called one of the staff members a bitch when she refused to answer his questions. Again, it's stated in this article, these interactions were months ago when Koberger was a student at DeSales. And he says that during a final interaction, the owner approached Brian Koberger saying, I went up to him and I said, hey, Brian, welcome back. We appreciate you coming back. I just wanted to talk to you real quick and make sure that you are going to be respectful this time. And we're not going to have any issues. Mm -hmm. He says that Koberger looked taken aback when he was approached. He was shocked and said that he didn't know what the owner was talking about, saying you must have me confused with somebody else. Of course, and then he he finished his beer. He left, and he never came back. That is so incredibly typical of these types. And I'm not trying to lump everybody in in together here, but when when you see a type that is standoffish and and weird with female patrons and staff, and then when they're called out by a male on it, they usually tuck their tail and and hide or leave. And that's what we saw him do here. Maybe, maybe he wasn't intimidated. Maybe it was nothing like that. He was just called out and felt embarrassed and decided to leave. But usually that's the situation where you see a male bullying female staff or customers. And then when, when the issue was brought up by a male, they'll typically, they'll typically duck and run.
2: Yeah. Because. Brian, in this case, is, is Brian Duschberger. And bars should implement this and keep notes on their patrons because women should be able to go to a bar or a brewery and feel comfortable. And so write on for this brewery to have this system and write on that this guy just didn't let the guy come in and harass more customers.
0: And you're absolutely right. Every bar should have the system. I know that old school bars typically have a bar book. You don't necessarily want your name or an incident that you were involved in to make it to the bar book, which was less formal. It's more of the bartender or somebody writing down what took place and they may not have all of your pertinent information like in this right. system in in this new system very up to date system where they can scan your ID so they know who your name is as long as you're not using a a fake ID they know who exactly you are because anybody one of my one of my favorite things to do for relaxing purposes is to watch a ball game in a bar or watch a portion of a ball game in a bar so i'm in bars much more frequently than most people i would guess Anyone that I go to, you usually have, you can have situations where you're like, yeah, that dude, he's a problem. And when he comes in here, he just always seems to be a problem. And sometimes you, you witness a situation, he's removed from the situation. And then you say to the bartender, like, yeah, that, I don't know why you guys let that guy in here. He's always a problem. And they go, well, I well, I, I have no way of knowing I'm new here or I only work Thursdays. I've right. never seen that guy before. So. This is a great setup. This is a great system to have, even for for situations that that I just described. As far as Koberger goes, there is a student, a fellow classmate of his at Washington State University. It's reported that his name is B.K. Norton. He told NBC News that he first met Brian Koberger in August of last year at student at student orientation, excuse me. He said they took classes together that past semester. He said, we didn't work on any projects together, but we spent extensive time together because our courses were very long. Norton goes on to say that Koberger seemed odd from the beginning, but he and the other students just thought that it was because Koberger was awkward in nature. But he goes on to say, quote, I am in complete shock over this murder because he continued to attend classes and continued on like nothing had happened. I still can't wrap my head around it. Norton said he did attend classes up until the end of the semester and seemed more upbeat. Honestly, when discussed in class, Brian did not mention or contribute to the conversation of the murders. We were released from class early after the murders to get home when it was still light out and Brian was in those classes with us.
2: Did you see the report of one of the, I believe it was a friend of, well, I don't know if you want to call him a friend, but a, at least an associate of Brian's that would go running at night with Brian. Did you see that news clip? I did not. Yeah, it was. Just, it was like my guess is that media was driving all around Pennsylvania And because they kept on reporting that Brian was arrested in Scranton. And so they were going around to the gas stations and there was just this kid that they probably were sitting at the gas station asking people, did you, did you know this guy? And this guy goes, yeah, I used to run. And so because of this kid's schedule, he would typically run late at night and Brian would normally go with him. And they would go on these five, seven-mile runs. So very long runs. Now, you're normally not having long conversations with somebody. You're just having a running partner. But I guarantee you that guy's a little creeped out now. But here's what we do know. They arrested this Brian Dueschberger, right? They have his DNA now. I wouldn't be surprised if he's connected to other crimes, he's 28 years old. And to me, if he has these urges, like a lot of these serial killers talk about having, then these are urges that he's probably been dealing with for over 10 years. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past him that he's not connected to other crimes and that they would be able to figure that out because if, if I'm law enforcement, That's one of the things I'm, I'm doing, I'm running his DNA through the system.
0: Well, and sometimes these guys will practice breaking into homes. One thing that we're seeing coming out is that his survey or some of his, his work that he was doing toward his degree in, in criminology and what he was studying was asking criminals. One, their thoughts and feelings on, on the crimes they committed, what they were thinking and feeling when, and when committing those crimes, how did you enter the place? How did you flee the place? You know, a lot of questions like that. So a lot of times we know that these guys will practice by breaking into homes. And usually that starts with peeping Tom type activities Right. Spying on people. One thing I'm a little curious about and and so the, the big the big hurdle that I have had in trying to wrap my head around this case from day one was the situation of six people in the home, four are killed in the middle of the night, and then the killer or killers flee without attacking and killing the other two persons that were in the home. I'm having less trouble wrapping my head around that now. Since the last time we spoke, I was able to get 3D pictures of the home. You know, so not just not just the front of the house or the side of the house, but to see all four sides from different angles. Right. And after looking at the layout of the house, it to me comes becomes very clear and that's what makes me believe that I, I wonder how much if at all he was watching this house or these victims in advance, because if you look at the the layout of this home, it's three floors. But if you were to enter the home from the back, which there's a sliding glass door, if you were to enter from the back, you would come in on the second floor. Right. You may not know. I don't know where the steps are to the lower level, which would be the ground level from the front of the house. I don't know where the steps are. I don't know that anybody would think that that somebody would be sleeping down there. And we know that the victims that were killed were on the second floor and the third floor. And from my understanding, the two victims that survived that were not attacked at all were on that first level. And so if he came in and entered the home through the back and went straight into the second floor, he may have only attacked and killed the people that he saw. Which would have been checking the third floor and the floor that he was on, and then leaving the area. the The other thing too is, again, it's we need to close the gap between perpetrator and victim. It's going to be very difficult to believe that this was just completely, totally random. Well,
2: no, and I think when you look at the food truck video footage, which I know there's a there's video footage out there where there's no audio, but two of the victims basically are getting into a a little tiff is what I'd call it. It's definitely possible at a party or at a bar that Brian was doing the same thing he was doing in Pennsylvania and his harassing people. And these ladies stuck up for themselves. They maybe gave him the business and that could be as simple as it is. And from maybe that moment on this guy decides, well, I'm going to get the last I'm going to get the last word in this.
0: And unfortunately, depending on how fragile the trigger for this dude is, it could be as simple as a brush off. That happened that same night. So yeah, we need to
2: start teaching men to stop being so fragile. (laughs) You know, if (laughs) a girl rejects you, it's okay. And, and if there's a reason she rejects you, then instead of being some turd bag, go home and work on it become a higher value person. And also when you are a higher value person and somebody rejects you, that's on them and not on you. This is something that is just not talked about enough with these school shooters, with these serial killers, the majority of them, the high percentage is male. So what are we not doing correctly in raising these individuals? I, I, I don't get it.
0: Well, without getting all scientific here, unfortunately it's, it's, in the DNA of males much more so than, than females. And, and I mean, you're right in everything you just said, but I don't think that we need to educate and have a, a, a sit down with all males because describing his actions and hearing them f- described and reading them from the, the owner of the brewery though, that's not the normal actions and normal interactions that most men or males are going to be having with staff or customers at a place that's not normal is what i'm saying like uh and and clear and thank god that it's not because yeah but
2: it happening just once is one too many times
0: if if it were more norm normal we would see a much more higher percentage of these types of of crimes so again it's going to be interesting to see how this investigation unfolds it's going to be interesting to see how that he is connected to one of the victims or more of the victims again like the captain pointed out earlier law enforcement is still saying we want information from the public we want information on that individual meaning brian Koberger. -hmm. the The police chief, his exact statement was, "We want that updated information so that we can start building that picture now. Every tip matters. They want to fill in some of the blanks. They want to learn as much that they can about Brian Koberger, especially before this thing goes to trial. He does say that they have received roughly about four hundred calls very shortly after Brian Koberger's arrest was announced. So it sounds like information might be pouring in, or at least was." last Friday. Let's hope that the public continues to help the police and law enforcement in that area. Again, the murder weapon has not been located and a lot of these a lot of this information still needs to be figured out. You mentioned DNA. They did say that they recovered Brian Koberger's DNA from a piece of material inside the home, inside right. the murder house. The debate, if you will I don't really see anybody debating it, but I see different reports coming out. Some people saying that it was the DNA that led them to Brian Koberger. Some people saying that it was the vehicle that led them to Brian Koberger. It may just be, it may be simple as that it's both. The thing with them going back in and examining the crime scene an additional time, captain saying, and other people saying that they were definitely looking for something, maybe something even specific. I think personally, I think it was, Probably just a double check kind of situation, or you have a situation like this. We know that they released this vehicle. So they're not going to release details or information so specific like they did with this vehicle, unless it was incredibly important to their investigation and they had reason to believe that that vehicle was of great importance to their investigation. Now, we know that the house had had several house parties. You would expect that on a college campus. So there was probably a lot of DNA, a lot of forensics inside that home that can be tied to people that are friends of the victims that had nothing to do with this crime or these murders at all. Could Brian have been in attendance at a party previously? Possibly. Did he know one of the victims or more of the victims? Had he been in the home before? Possibly. We're not seeing that in the news currently. You may just have a situation of going, okay, we're looking for a white 2011, 2012, or 2013 Hyundai Elantra that we believe was in the immediate area, these are their words, of the crime scene around the time of the killings, okay? Punch that information into our computers here, and we're pulling up that we have 1,000 or 2,000 or 2,500 people that own a vehicle that fits that general description within a 30-mile, 100-mile, 150-mile radius of the crime scene. What you would start to do with that information, if you believe that that information is paramount to your case, which I believe that they did, and, that, and that's why they released that information to the public, I believe that they would have taken that information and you do, it's as simple as this. The guy or the girl that owns an 11, 12, or 13 white Hyundai Elantra closest to the crime scene, we knocking on your door. And then the next closest one, we are knocking on your door. And so on. And yeah, we're all up in your shit. It goes outwardly from there. And then right. factor this in. Now, maybe it took us a while to get onto this white vehicle, which we know that it did, or at least for them to release that information to the public. But if it takes us a while to get onto this vehicle. Okay, now we have that breadcrumb. Now we have that lead that we've been looking for and we think it's a good one. Right. We need to go to that crime scene one more time and collect as much forensics, hair, fibers, DNA, anything that we can because now if we can put if we can make a spreadsheet and there are two check marks next to your name and one of those check marks tells us that your DNA was found inside that home and you're an owner of a eleven, twelve, thirteen white Hyundai Elantra, you just became prime suspect number one. You've just moved yourself from the big list to the very short list.
2: Yeah, that's the uh, you might be a piece of shit list to you probably a piece of shit list.
0: So you have some people saying that they they did genealogy detective work to yeah, I've trace heard that rumor his DNA and they connected it to his parents or to his family tree. And then they put two and two together and they went and got him. Here's the thing. I actually think that DNA absolutely played a role in this. However, I think the car was more of the vital chess piece here in this investigation. I think that they figured out that only X number of people own that type of vehicle within, they said he lived within 10 to 15 minutes of the crime scene. Yeah, you start with a small mile radius from the crime scene. And that right. puts you on a short, a shorter list of these vehicle owners. They had, from my understanding, FBI and local law enforcement in in Pennsylvania tailing this dude and surveilling him and his parents for several days before they arrested him. I believe as many as four or five days before they arrested him. So They were on to him well before the 30th. There's a chance that they could have been looking during that time period of surveilling him and collecting items that they were hoping to find his DNA on for comparison purposes, because that crime scene is going to be contaminated for any number of reasons. One, just the fact that it was a party house or known to, to house, parties on several occasions with many people in and out of that house.
2: So just to address a couple emails I got from close friends and sources of the show there was some rumors that like I said before that Brian might have been whether he was trolling around and looking for information about the case and what people were were knowing and what they weren't knowing and people have stated that, oh, maybe he was on Reddit doing some stuff, and there was some rumors that that maybe he even left comments on our blog page. Uh, look, there is no evidence of that. I went back through our blog. Now, you can make up whatever name you want and state whatever location you're in to leave a comment on our blog, but there's nothing, there's no comment that sticks out to me as strange or somebody that's like trying to um, get attention by doing that. So I got a couple emails, a couple text text messages from people saying, hey, I heard this rumor online that maybe he visited your guys' blog or website. Now, I did go back and do a search, a location search, and obviously we covered this case. So there's going to be some people from that area and that town that went and visited our website. That, that is fact, and there's some people from this Scranton, PA area that visit our website within the last few weeks. There is no evidence that Brian went to our website. So if you're seeing that rumor online, just know I don't think there's any. I, I can't find any evidence of that, and I don't know why it would matter anyways. And as far as finding
0: the suspect, again, it could be as simple as – you're reviewing the crime scene and we have, and th- these te- these tests take some time to run too. And one thing that we had suggested in December, when we covered this, we were, we were enthusiastic about it on off the record when we heard that they were very specific about what type of vehicle they were looking for. Even before, when we had almost no details at all, other than the fact, knowing that there were four that were stabbed to death, and the attacks likely occurred while they were sleeping. One thing that we had pointed out there, too, is that, unfortunately, then there's no nice, polite, and subtle way of describing this, but just picture that stabbing motion, and picture where the victim would be in relationship to the killer. That stabbing motion, it's very common, especially after one or two are delivered, that. weapon becomes wet. It becomes wet and the hand that is, that is driving the knife can slip very easily. And it's extremely common that these types of attackers using this type of weapon cut themselves and leave their blood at the scene. And if you are a detective, if you are doing the forensic work and you quickly can figure out that there's five, different kinds of blood here at this scene, and we have four victims, well, then that fifth set of blood, obviously, the most likely scenario is that it came from the killer. And it could be as simple as they tested that, they found that blood, they tested it, they double-checked it, and that is what led them to Brian Koberger. It's going to be interesting to find out more of the details as they come out in this case. Again, kudos to law enforcement and our thoughts and prayers remain with the families
2: of the victims. But let's not forget the victims, Kaylee Madison, Zana and Ethan. Their families have lost a lot. Their friends have lost a lot. That community has lost a lot. This is probably just the beginning of the beginning. They got a long way to go. More information will probably be coming out, uh, I don't, I don't think we plan on, on covering every little detail that comes out uh, about this case, but, uh, we thought because we covered it before and there was arrest made that we should bring that to everybody's attention. That's part of our job that we appreciate you supporting us and let us have this job. If it wasn't for you guys, we would, we'd be nothing other than two drunk guys with their pants off in a garage. All right, Colonel, until next time, be good, be kind, and don't
0: live.
1: This is a big year.